Welcome to PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. I'm Mark Pfeffer. Joining me today is William Tincup, the president and editor-at-large of Recruiting Daily. Mergers and acquisitions are an important dynamic in the world of HCM technology, but when a deal happens, we tend to pay the most attention to the money involved and how well the two companies fit together. But there's more to M&A than that. There's customer concerns, nuts and bolts, and conflicts of interest that can impact how the new company approaches its business. That's what we're going to talk about on this edition of PeopleTech. Hey, William. Great to see you. Always happy to be here. Of course. Um, Let's set the stage. We're going to talk about M&A in the HR technology space. So what's going on there right now? Who's the players? What's the trends? What do you see? Well, it's slow normally uh, at this time, especially leading up to HR tech and leading up to the fourth quarter, you see a lot of activity. Um, But it's really been slow in the last two years. Funding has slowed down uh, and acquisitions have slowed down. And the acquisitions are generally kind of the premises is make versus buy. You know, someone's kind of kind of built something, whether or not it's a feature, a product or a company to be decided to be determined. Uh, Somebody comes along, you know, much like a much larger fish says, "Okay, I like that. We don't want to build that. You've already got. 900 customers let's figure out evaluation it's usually a multiple on revenue uh, and you come to some type of deal and the deal gets done you stay or you don't stay like in and every one of the deals is unique in the sense of sometimes they just want the customers like when Taleo acquired Verve they didn't care about the technology they didn't care about the team they just wanted the they just wanted the customers so that they could flip them to Taleo. And like when Altrue was bought by iSims, they didn't want to build a video uh, interviewing studio. And Altrue had already done it. And I already had a bunch of great customers on it. So they thought, you know what? We'll kill two birds with one stone. So they have customers that we don't. And we don't have to go build a video studio. Done. So it's like each one of these things gets unique in the sense of, okay, what are they really acquiring? Are they acquiring tech? Are they acquiring the team? Are they acquiring customers? Is a combination of all those things. And in every deal for the folks that are being acquired is also unique. It's its own snowflake, if you will. Mm-hmm. In that sometimes they'll stay. Sometimes founders will stay on. Maybe, uh, maybe it's they'll stay on until they feel like they don't need to stay on. Some of it's in the contract. It's an earnout. You know, if you have to stay on uh, for the transition period of three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, whatever the bid is. And so, you know, every one of them, that, that I, that's what's fascinating about M&A. First of all, my, Sam Thomas, my finance professor in, my, in business school, told me, uh, told me one time, he's like, so here's the deal about M&A, William. There's no such thing. <laughs> I said, do tell. And uh, he goes, there is no such thing as mergers and acquisitions. It's just acquisitions. At one point, someone's acquired. I mean, it might be marketed as a merger because it sounds, it sounds nicer. 
you know? But at, at the end of the day, you're using somebody's accounting software. You're using somebody's HR software. You're using somebody's C-suite. You're using somebody's board. Somebody's acquired. The merger part of M, the M of M&A is a really kind of a nice way of saying you're being acquired, which again, I, I have friends that have built companies that that's the goal. In fact, one of my friends from years ago, uh, he wanted to build a networking company. So outside of the HR space, but he wanted to build a company that to sell to Cisco. So, and at this time, Cisco had done a hundred and let's say 25 uh, acquisitions. So he went, he flew around the world and met with every CEO had been, had been acquired. And he built a playbook on how to be acquired by, by Cisco. <laughs> then he went out and built technology and as Monterey Networks. He went out and built techno technology and did all kinds of cool stuff, built Scott's customers, and then worked his playbook. And then Cisco came knocking, got acquired. And like... That was, I mean, that's meticulous. But I, I see the same thing in HR tech where, where especially serial entrepreneurs where they've sold once uh, or maybe twice, like uh, they've, already, they've already done the bit, they've already done the earn out. And now, now they've got, they usually have a time, a pause where they can't be in competition. And then they can create whatever they want. And what they're going to do is basically what they did before they're going to get it up to a certain size of MRR, ARR, and then they're going to sell it. They're not really trying to take it to market and like, like IBM and keep it at market for a hundred years, 200 years, et cetera. They're trying to get to a certain place where they have enough density where someone else finds that attractive. <laughs> but to answer your question simply it's it's just slow. It's molasses, and you don't see like normally in in TechCrunch or CrunchBase, you see announcements, especially pre-pandemic, every day. Every day you'd see something in HR tech, in the form of somebody got funded, somebody just grabbed a brand new client or stole a brand new huge client, or somebody got acquired. Like you could literally look at this the stream and just go, okay something happened and keeping up with it was chaos well pandemic all that other stuff and where we are whether or not we're in a recession or not doesn't really matter the money has slowed down so all of the folks that are sitting on funds whether or not it's the larger funds or smaller vc funds they don't know how to deploy the money they have money they have plenty of money they don't know how to deploy the money and so valuations are down, which means that a lot of the companies, they don't want to be acquired because this isn't the, it's like, you know, buying and selling a house, right? This isn't the time to sell a house. And, and so this isn't, this is also generally speaking, isn't the time to raise money. So it's slower on the run up to HR tech. A lot of people do announcements. So they might have already been working. They're working right now in the in the in the close period, and uh, but they won't disclose, or it's under embargo, and they won't disclose because they want to do it two weeks or three weeks before HR Tech. We'll see some of that this year. One of the things you've talked about in the past, and you and I have talked about, is when a merger or or an acquisition occurs. There's there's always an inherent 
conflict of, of interest involved. That a <laughs> company once had a variety of partnerships. All of a sudden, they're just only emphasizing one, which happens to be its new sister company. Yep. You know, like, I was thinking, is it, aren't complications like that obvious from the start? I mean, it, it, it's one of the things you don't really hear investors and executives talk about. Well, they have to make a bet, right? So the bet is, okay, we have multiple partners that we sell through the channel. And, uh, and we'll take the AppCast, Bayard, or Recruitix, and K, uh, KPT, whatever the marketing firm was. The idea is, at one point, are you agnostic, and meaning you can work with any agency as a programmatic uh, technology, you can work with anybody, which opens you up to the set of partnerships with all kinds of different people. Or, when the, or is the bet, if we do this just through one agency, will get more. And I think the math that's done in due diligence, because you're right, it's not overlooked. It's not like, oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> what? Conflicts of interest? That's crazy. No. In due diligence, they're looking at this and they're basically saying the math is better if we do it through one, because we can control it. Uh, even, even if some of these other folks, they peel off and they don't do business with us, doesn't really matter we'll be able to go after more customers and go deeper into, in this case, like a Bard or a KRT, it's the name of the marketing firm, uh, for Recruitix, we'll go deeper into their clientele. And so we'll be able to make more money there than we would with all these other partners. But one plus one has to be three. And that's, that's where I think the due diligence is, when, when they're doing the due diligence, it just can't be one plus one equals two. Because why would you change anything? Right. It's got to be more, and that's got to be the decision. You know, is it technology? Is it the team? Is it the customers? And are we going to make more money with this strategy? And so I, I do believe that it is thought of, Mark. I think it, it, I don't think they woke up and went, oh my goodness, I can't believe we have these conflicts. I, I do believe they, they think about it, but I think they think about it and justify it, and maybe rightfully so in the sense of, okay, we're not going to be agnostic, but we're going to make more money. I would Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. I think that in doing that due diligence and, and sort of plotting out that game plan, you're thinking about the reaction of your current partners who might just suddenly become pure competitors. 100%. 100%. How, how do they weigh that? How do they? They probably punish it and say, okay, 50% of our current uh, partners are going to peel off or maybe uh, 75%. So they probably, they punish the number and they basically take that revenue number, whatever came top line revenue that came through them and just punish the number and say, okay, that's what we get left. They're not necessarily worried about a new competitor 
because they believe, and probably rightfully so, they believe that the combination of these two things is a better solution. Like they're not doing it just you know for giggles. They're doing it because they think that, hey, AppCast, all the people at Bayard, now they don't have to learn 19 different systems. They're going to be experts at AppCast. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they don't have to, I mean, think about how easy that is now for them to talk to customers because they're going to be experts at AppCast. And so they can go deeper, make better recommendations and make more money, increase the footprint and give better service because they only have to know one solution. I asked Jason Averbrook this question years ago when he had a, a firm. Um, it was more, it was, it, was a, it was a firm that did implementations. And at first, when he first started it, it was a Piro. Um, I think it was the name of it. When he first started it, they were agnostic. We'll do 80 implementations. You want to do Cornerstone? Fantastic. ADP? Fantastic. Whatever. And in about two years into it, they changed and they said, we're Workday, Cornerstone, ADP, and like two others. Uh, I think one of them was a learning solution or uh, another type of solution. Maybe it might've been an ATS, but they basically said, instead of the world being 26,000 vendors, and we're going to come in and give you the the pros and cons of all the 26,000, you know what? We know where the bodies, and I remember him telling me this, we know where the bodies are buried with, with this particular thing. So when we talk to them, we tell them we're partners with them, which means that we're going to get better service, A. B, we already know where the technology is lacking. So we can navigate that. And if we know it, we can navigate. But if, if you're having to relearn that with every new technology, imagine how hard that is. So imagine from Baird's perspective, their people making recommendations to their clients. Yeah, we could go with Pando, we could go with Recruitix, we could go with Jovio, we could go with so-and-so. And like each one of those has a different setup. They're not all the same. So it's like they've now got to be technology experts on 15 different technologies. So this act, that particular acquisition made the world real simple. I don't think that they'll be recommending all those other solutions because they're going to go deeper into the solution that the, the, the technology solution that owns them. There's a similar dynamic with users. I would think, um, you know, you, you've, you merge two companies and one company's customers are probably going to end up being not so happy because all of a sudden they have to learn a new product. They have to integrate a new product, and they they have to have to do all that. Integrations is such a big part of HR tech mm-hmm. that user happiness has to be a a really big thing to to consider. But then you often hear stories about how the users are just pretty much steamrolled. You said it. The users are absolutely steamrolled. Now, what we haven't factored in, which I think is something we probably should, is that. We talk about EX a lot, or we've talked about it a lot in the last 18 months, employee experience. But we don't talk about the software that they use during the day that creates either a negative or positive experience. So EX is tied to technology shifts. So if we're moving, let's say, from Ceridian to ADP, 
and you've been working as a Ceridian payroll clerk for 20 years, and you know Ceridian inside and out, you can make it bend, and you're moving to ADP, and let's say it's a superior solution. You've now got to relearn your job. And imagine doing that 20 years in. Imagine that doing it a year in. Uh, it doesn't really matter because you're having to relearn when you did, had no choice in the matter. Choice was made for you. And, and let's even say the technology is superior. Maybe, you know, not, not an equal or a lateral move, but it's superior. You're getting better su superior technology, but you've got to learn everything over again. Where's that button? How do I run that report? How do I connect this with this? Like the massive amount of what people call change management, the better companies that do this, they throw change management and training into the mix because they know that the faster that they can get those users to fall in love with Nuco, the better. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, I've never been divorced, so I don't know anything about it. But what I've heard about divorce is the faster that uh, your spouse can get on with their life and marry again, the better. Like for all involved. Like if you're if your wife, if you're divorced, you go through a divorce, okay, done deal. Uh, and she remarries in three years. Yeah, that's three years of what will probably torture. But after that, it, she's on to her own thing. So right. the the metaphor for technology is the faster you can get them to fall in love, the users to fall in love with new co, the better for everybody involved. Because they'll forget old co. They'll forget old co. They're, they're, they're because they'll just be thinking about new co, but all that takes intentionality. Intentionality on the new vendor to then say, we've got to swoon. We've got to get these people on board, not just onboard them. We've got to get them on board to fall in love with us. So their employee experience is great. So they fall in love with us. And so they forget old co. Does, does that really translate to real action in the real world? Uh, I, I mean, our vendors, when, when there's a merger mm -hmm. uh, or an acquisition, does the, is it your view that the acquiring vendor really does enough to support users along the lines of what no. you're saying? Not at all. No, they do it in the new sales, but not in acquisitions. They don't, they, there's so many things that are done wrong in acquisitions because like looking at culture fit, looking at the, do the two cultures match? Um, how are we going to bring everyone together under NUCO and whether or not it's rebranded or not, but how do we get everybody on the same page, singing from the same page in the missilette? Like all of that stuff isn't done well. It just isn't. I mean, that's across enterprise software, but even in our little corner of the world, it's not done well. And so are they thinking about users? No, not at all. I mean, I mean, the 1% possibly. Uh, in new sales, when Workday is going to take over an SAP client, they've done it so frequently that they already understand data. They already know how to train people and they do it and they do a good job of bringing new co into the users and getting them to fall in love with it. And, and forget old co, but in acquisitions, they don't spend the money there. Is, is there a merger in the HR tech space that sticks out to you as being really done right? Wow. I'll start with done wrong first. 
and uh, and it's for of no fault of anybody's other than when SAP bought Success Factors, uh, Lars, their founder and CEO, was such a dynamic personality, and he had a vision for cloud very early on, very early on, very early, you know, like Mark Minioff at Salesforce, very early on, and uh, I don't know what happened with SAP or Success Factors or Lars, but he didn't stay that long. And I think if it had Success Factors just given him the keys to the cloud world and just said, take the cloud business and go, we'd be talking more about Success Factors than we would be Workday. That's the, that's the miss is because you had the right, you had the right, it might not have been the right technology, but you had the right person in the right place, the right time and the right vision. And had you just given the keys the, to the kingdom and let him go, he would have, he would have, he would have built something that not rivaled Workday, but probably was better than Workday. Because Workday by and large is PeopleSoft 2.0. They just took something that used to be on-prem and, and made it in the cloud and, and did make some, some improvements, of course. But, that's not revolutionary, quite frankly. It's it's more evolutionary. I think Lars would have done something completely revolutionary. And I don't know, some people say that you know, his, his child got sick or he had to stay more at home or couldn't travel as much. I don't really I didn't really get I haven't gotten the a straight answer and I've asked a bunch of people. Uh, but I can tell you that we would be looking at Oracle success factors or SAP and worked a completely different if Lars were in charge of the cloud business. So to me, I always look at, especially with visionary CEOs, two years later, hey, do you still have the CEO? You know, like, like uh, One Done Well is iSIMS bought a company called uh, Jive. And I'm trying to think of the, the guy's name that's the CEO. I'll think of it here. It's Joel uh, Epstein. That's not right. Yeah. So Joel was running a wonderful CRM play. And it was an early stage in the CRM business. And um, he's plodding along and, and he's got good technology and he's making some, you know, really good moves and clients love them and all that stuff. And uh, ISIMS comes knocking and they acquire them. And that was over a decade ago. Like I just saw them at the ISIMS uh, analyst, you know, user conference bid. And he's doing, they've, what they've done so well is they've, they, they, acquire these companies and then they give the CEO new things to do. Like what project do you want to work on now? So it's almost like creating kind of a entrepreneurial environment inside of a large company. Mm -hmm. And so Joel's he's, he's literally Joe Essenfeld is his name. Sorry. So he's probably had 10 different jobs. Like every time I talk to him, I have to start off with, well, what are you doing? What's your title today? Cause he's had, and see, to me, that's how you that's how you win. You you acquire the technology, you got some customers, but you got some really talented and Joel, you have a really, really, really talented, smart person. And they've somehow 
been able to uh, keep him engaged, I, I, I think to me that that's 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 a win because that person could easily go off and create something new, or they could create something new inside your company. You know, and and I think the the smarter plays do that. They find a way. The board, the C-suite, they find a way to keep them engaged because they were running and gunning with their startup. They got bought. They want to kind of manage and make sure that that thing gets sorted. But then can they keep that person engaged? And so the better, the, for me, the better acquisitions are the ones where you can track back and see that they kept the talent, those talented people. If you can't keep the talent, I mean, I, I think it's, it's not a, as great of an acquisition as it could have been. You didn't maximize the acquisition. And so Joel's a great example of that. And, uh, I, you know, with iSIMS, on the opposite side of that, they acquired Candidate ID, and uh, which is a fantastic re recruitment marketing, kind of outbound recruitment marketing play. And they didn't, they couldn't keep the founders. They kept them for a transition period, three months, six months, that's it. And like I, Adam Gordon is one of the, one of those guys. And Adam's one of the brightest people in our space. And I'm thinking to myself, why, what, did, what did you need to do to, to keep that person motivated inside the company? What, what do you need? What do you, you need a labs? You know, like, what do you need to keep you excited? Not just about the company that you built or the company that you joined, but about building something new. Because that's what entrepreneurs love is there's got to be a better way. And they want to figure out that better way. And I think that, again, looking at those, we just talked about ISIMs in one case of where they've done a wonderful job with Joe and another case with Adam, where I don't know the, the politics or the economics behind the situation. What I do know is Adam's starting a new company and I'm, I guarantee it's going to be in a similar space. So what broke down? Why couldn't we keep him from an ISIM's perspective? That's, that's what I would look at. And sometimes you see things that just don't work. Like with HireVue, they acquired a scheduling sof software, uh, which everyone thought was just a great play, and then they spun it out. <laughs> so, so basically they acquired it, thought that they were going to integrate it with all the things they did, and they probably did, and then they just spun it right back out. And that, that happens frequently as well. I mean, Brass Ring, which was on its own, bought by Conexa. Conexa was bought by IBM. IBM had it for a while. And then IBM said, yeah, we're not going to, we'll just spend that out. And Brass Ring is an entity with software, global ATS, that's been around forever. And now you have a new group of people making really uh, cool improvements to a very old product. But again, that was, that's been acquired twice. Like salary.com was acquired by Conexa, right? So when, and then IBM bought it as well, part of the assets, buying a Conexa. And, uh, and then they also decided they didn't want to be in the compensation business. So they spun, they sold it back to the original owner of salary.com. So you talk about a really funny story. Here's a guy who builds a really cool compensation play, sells it to Conexa, so exits, and uh, then they sell it to IBM, great. Then 
IBM decides they don't want to be in the comp business and they contact him and he said, yeah, I'll do it again. And here you have salary.com right now doing great enterprise software, compensation software work. And it's the original. <laughs> it's like, you've given us our software back. We've already gotten paid. Now we're just, now we're going to just go do it again until someone says, yeah, we want to buy that. And they'll sell it again. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me in the next year that we see a press release that says salary.com has been purchased by dot, dot, dot. William, thank you. Sure. Great to talk to you. And um, thanks so much. No worries, my friend. Good time to talk about M&A. And we'll revisit towards the end of the year and see what got done. Okay. My guest today has been William Tincup, the president and editor-at-large of Recruiting Daily. And this has been PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. We're a publication of Recruiting Daily. We're also a part of Evergreen Podcasts. To see all of their programs, visit www.evergreenpodcast.com. And to keep up with HR technology, visit the HCM Technology Report every day. We're the most trusted source of news in the HR tech industry. Find us at www.hcmtechnologyreport.com. I'm Mark Pfeffer. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter Podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.